Let us pray. Lord God, indeed, you are holy. The gap between you and us is greater than we can imagine. And yet we teach your word and we seek to understand because you have come close. We ask that by word and spirit you would do that again this morning. You know each of us. Speak to us where we are, but move us along. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The thrice holy Lord reigns. I hope you noticed that uh, as Ruby read the text. Holy is he. Holy is he. The Lord our God is holy. I say to you again, uh, holiness has moral aspects to it, uh, but at its heart it is that he is set apart and that he sets us apart and that we are to be devoted to him as the set-apart one and we are to focus on him and that's why the psalmist cries as he does. We hear a lot of cries in our days uh, as they were crying out in the Psalms. Uh, words like equality, sometimes even kindness, freedom, progress. That's nothing new. When I was in junior high school, uh, General Electric pulled up their semi that the full length of the truck, it said, progress is our most important product. But if you look at our culture today, uh, uh, it's as if there's never been progress and it's our time to make it. And then there are the words on the backside of the four, and I could give you others, uh, unequal, the cry that there's too much of that, uh, that instead of kindness, there's a judgmental spirit. Instead of freedom, there's restriction. Uh, instead of progress, there's backwardness. And if you've been paying attention, a lot of those words uh, that I just read are aimed uh, at Christians. We're the ones who, in the eyes of some in our culture, are uh, behind some of the inequality and the judgmental spirit and the restrictiveness and the backwardness. I, I drew this list from uh, Tom Holland, uh, an honored British historian, not a professing Christian, who uh, in his 2019 book, Dominion, uh, the subtitle says it all, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And there's a newer book, 2022, Glenn Scrivener, an Australian Anglican uh, pastor living in the UK, published uh, a book, The Air We Breathe, like that title. How we all come to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And both Holland, a non-Christian, and Scrivener, uh, a pastor, point out the same thing in very scholarly ways, especially Holland's book, respected historian. Uh, 
Many of the cries today about equality and a lack of compassion for all and restrictions on freedom and a backward clinging to the past's weaknesses are rooted in deep motivations that flow from nowhere else but the influence of Scripture and the Gospel. And our culture doesn't know it, but the very criticisms uh, that it raises up are Christ-based criticisms, which the Scriptures call the church to apply to itself, and God demands a broader context. Uh, Ponder historically the words equality, compassion, or kindness, freedom, and progress, and all of those are words, and I use the words exactly, that Jesus quietly bled into human culture by his death on the cross with a depth and power that significantly altered and continues to alter the world. Uh, Holland's and Scrivener's thoughts help us see that the qualities that people are most longing for are not natural apart from God's grace. And our culture has forgotten that they're not natural and that if they seem natural and that we think we have a right to long for them, it's only because of what God has done in pouring His grace into people's lives in the past. Remember that these things are natural to us only because of the transforming reality of Jesus' cross upon which God uses the worst human brutality to save us from ourselves. I quoted Alexander Solzhenitsyn last week, but the dividing line between good and evil, cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. Which is why we want to get to those good words without having to face that we've got to deal with our own hearts and cut out the darkness somehow, which we don't have the strength to do on our own if we're ever going to arrive at those words. And because we who are UPC and know our own hearts, uh, we want to speak honestly about what Jesus and God's Word really say, not what humans over the years sometimes warp it into. If you know the Scriptures, it's no surprise the church messes up. I'm not making excuses for how the church has messed up over the century, but I want to say to you, surprise, surprise, everybody who follows Jesus is immediately just like Jesus, right? I have a pastor acquaintance who wrote a book a number of years back. I love the title. I hate the title. Why is it taking us so long to get better? But it's because of the reality of the transformation that comes when we deal with the cross in our hearts every day. We who are UPC desire, because of Jesus' cross, to understand the events and individuals around us, no matter where they're coming from or what they're thinking at the moment. We desire to learn from our neighbors while being discerning and interpreting ourselves and our neighbors by Jesus' words, because it's only in Jesus' words that there's hope, not in a human church. I mean, why did we pray today? (laughs) Because we know if we try to do it on our own, we'll mess it up. And because we're committed to see through the lens of God's Word, I want to walk you through these nine verses of Psalm 99. The thrice holy Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Verse 1, he is enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth 
quake. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Why? He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. To see the Lord is to redefine meaning and purpose in life. And Lord, when it's spelled in most of our translations, I've told you this before, but I don't want you to forget it, in all caps or little caps, is the translation for the Hebrew tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God, the God who revealed Himself to Abraham and Isaac and Israel, Jacob, who has made Himself known most fully in the incarnation of His eternal Son, His Word, who took on flesh, Jesus. He's the one who chooses to make covenants of grace instead of to destroy. And so while the earth quakes in His presence, God offers grace. The peoples tremble at His sight, at His deeds as Creator, and not only as Creator, what is the book of Exodus about? It's about God as decreator. Egypt boasts and God says, watch me decreate you. Watch me take you apart. And that's the word God gave Moses to give Israel in the wilderness. You think you're in trouble. I'm your creator. I'm decreating them. And he even decreates his own people temporarily. Think of Israel in exile. All peoples will tremble at the Lord. Our human puny arguments to gaslight God. Gaslighting is nothing new. We've been trying to gaslight God for generations upon generations, to do away with Him, to push Him out of the way, to silence His voice. And our arguments buttressed with fear tactics, intimidations, payoffs, even jail time or death are nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. But when the Lord is seen, they will crumble in a millisecond. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. The earth quakes. Will you let me project images on your imagination? The Word of God does better than our screens even if they were bigger, could ever do. Just listen as I read Ezekiel 10, 1 and 2. Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire, in appearance like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirring wheels under the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. Picture Elijah's chariots of fire. Images of the Lord's riding the clouds atop dangerous angelic creatures, creatures who with spread wings also guard the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies and the temple, who guard the gates back to the garden in Genesis 3 with a flaming sword to keep our rebellious forebears from going back into the presence of God in their sin. Many myths have grown up from the reality of these cherubim, these angelic creatures. Think flying dragons. Some of you have read The Hobbit. Some of you have seen the movie Smaug, the dragon on the mountain. He ain't much. If he saw the cherubim, he would fly home to his cave whimpering. Think dinosaurs, evil giant lizards, some of them that can fly. The word dinosaur in the Greek, you might use this on a quiz show someday. Some of you, if you think about it, know the prefix dino, 
dynamite, power, dino, sour, S-A-U-R. Sour is from a root in Greek which means lizard. So a dinosaur is a powerful lizard. A dinosaur is a powerful, destructive lizard in a lot of our movies. And as to evil that perverts God's creatures to their own ends, uh, a lot of you know Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Who's the really bad guy? Sauron, S-A-U-R-O-N. Sauron, you'll never think of the movie the same, is the lizard. He's the evil lizard. And I assure you, Tolkien knew very well when he called him Sauron. That's what he was saying. But compared to the cherubim, Sauron, with all of his evils, will tremble and his scales will fall off, and Smeagol is more human in all of his brokenness and lust and desire than Sauron. These are the things that are behind the images in these texts. God's non-myth cherubim are more dynamic than all. They are God's angelic servants. Please get rid of your naked baby cherubs or cherub choir images and let the earth quake again when you hear the Scriptures read and spoken. Yahweh is enthroned above the cherubim in the heavens and above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple. Psalm 99.5, which we'll get to, says that this wonderful Ark and temple of God are but the footstool of God's feet. Israel thought they were the glory of humanity. Solomon thought they were a glory. Harold says, I'll do you one better, and God says, footstool. Only my feet in image can go there too. The holy Lord Jesus is great in the heavenly Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples because Yahweh, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. Ultimately, the eternal word that has spoken was there with God, was God in the presence of God, the word of God from the beginning is the one who is the voice of God, the Word of God. The Lord is great in Zion and beyond. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. God chose little Israel because she was little. Remember that. If you dream or have dreamed for UPC to be a megachurch, God chose Israel because she was little. And big churches that are happy that they're big, instead of wanting to know that they're little, know how big, no matter how big they are, God has a way of bringing them back to see that we're all little. And it cost Israel a lot over the years to be God's people, didn't it? It cost Israel a lot to sanctify her own self-involvement and self-importance and to be God's witness, both because of her sins it cost her and because of other sins. It's not always pleasant to witness on behalf of a God who says no one can be like Him, but says grab grace and work at it until He comes. That is not an easy calling. I think it was Teresa of Avila, 16th century sister in Spain, who said, God, you'd have more friends if you treated the ones you have a little bit better. but He treats us the way He treats us because we need discipline as well as encouragement. 
The reality is God's friends are treated like God's treated. God is great in Zion, but God's Son gets to the heavenly Zion via suffering. Hebrews 12, 24, 22, and 24. The reference is on your notes, but hear the words. But you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, who was killed by his brother but the blood of Jesus who was killed for you pours life onto you and cleanses you. Holy is He. He is set apart by creator, creator distance, but He has come close through His sprinkled blood that makes us holy and dedicates us to Him. Three, because our holy King loves justice and has executed ultimate justice on Jesus, we now worship at a cross-shaped footstool. Instead of the holy of holies in the temple and the tablets of Moses inside the Ark of the Covenant, we have the tablet of God, the Word of God, Christ Jesus on the cross. And that's the footstool of the glory of God on earth for us to bow down before. Exalt the Lord our God. He is holy. The king loves justice. He has established equity, executes justice and righteousness in Jacob. What happens when a king in his might doesn't love justice? My mind goes back to when I first read William Styron's World War II novel, Sophie's Choice, when Mary and I were first married. And I got to the scene at the death camp when the Gestapo officer turns to the mother and asks this simple question to her, which child do you want to keep? As he's dividing the lines between the crematorium and the housing. When the king doesn't love justice. Injustice works within families and individuals, not just with leaders, with nations, with tech corporations, with broadcast and newspaper firms, film studios, it affects parents and families too. Because when we think we're something, when there are narcissistic parents, the world becomes warped and we ought praise God for loving justice and doing equity. Cynthia McDonald wrote some of my favorite poems. If you've read her, you know I'm a little bit warped. This poem is called accomplishments. Some poems don't preach. I think this one does. I painted a picture, green sky, and showed it to my mother. She said, that's nice, I guess. So I painted another holding the paintbrush in my teeth. Look, Ma, no hands. And she said, I guess someone would admire that if they knew how you did it and they were interested in painting, which I am not. I played clarinet solo in Gounod's clarinet concerto with the Buffalo Philharmonic. Mother came to listen and said, that's nice, I guess. So I played it with the Boston Symphony, lying on my back and using my toes. Look, Ma, no hands. And she said, I guess someone would admire that if they knew how you did it and they were interested in music, which I'm not. 
I made an almond souffle and served it to my mother. She said, that's nice, I guess. So I made another, beating it with my breath, serving it with my elbows. Look, Ma, no hands. And she said, I guess someone would admire that if they knew how you did it and they were interested in eating, which I am not. So I sterilized my wrists, performed the amputation, threw away my hands, and went to my mother. But before I could say, look, Ma, no hands, she said, I have a present for you, and insisted that I try on the blue kid gloves to make sure they were the right size. But distorted realities operate in daily routines. I had a 12-year-old girl come into my study with her stepdad a number of years ago, and as we talked, and I found out why they were there, this 12-year-old beautiful little girl said, uh, I dread my mother. And I said, tell me more, what, what's going on? And these were her words. One time we were having fried chicken and I ate it with my hands. My mother bawled me out, don't you have any manners? What's wrong with you? What's the matter? So the next time we had fried chicken, I used my knife and fork and my mother said, you dumb girl, that's so stupid. Don't you know it's easier to pick it up and eat it? Do you believe in sin? Do you know what it's like when the king doesn't love justice? When the people that are in charge don't love equity? When the human heart goes its own way? Psalm 99, 4 and 5, after the greatness of God's being and grace in every phrase of verse 4, we praise God for His integrity. Only in Him are holiness and grace, power and justice, perfectly one. And He turns hearts to repentance so that the faithful remnant learn to worship and cry out and call for deliverance in life. And God's ultimate justice is established on the cross when the Son takes the judgment in our place. God, who in might loves justice, answers our cries, fourthly. The Lord ultimately answers our cries in His incarnate high priest Son who forgives, disciplines, transforms those who worship, but will surely judge His remaining enemies. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. Samuel was also among those who called upon His name. They called to the Lord and He answered them. In the pillar of cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies in the statute that he gave them. Oh, Lord, our God, you answered them. You were forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings, he disciplines. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. God's priests call out on behalf of the people. He answered the images from the Exodus wanderings, the portable temple, God's footstool box with its guarding cherubim in the wilderness with covenant of grace responsibilities. God was forgiving. Amazing. I mean, read about the idolatrous gods in the other nations, the darkness, the fickleness, the brutality, who justified their enslaving and raping and crucifying with the behavior of their own gods. So what are God's people to do? First, they worship God 
who loves justice. And then they give thanks for what he does for them. The Lord came down first on the granite mountain in Sinai to Moses, but finally he answered and came down on Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the city of the great king, and was crowned deliverer and provider and savior on a cross. We teach or sing it every week in this worship center, praise God. The shocker to the world and our own souls is that God's glory shines greatest on the cross. The glory of God is not in what we think it ought to be in. It's not in mega churches, mega pastors, mega buildings. Our beauty, it's in the beauty of God, shocker, on a cross. And whether you're a nun visiting with us, you don't have a religion, or you're a dun and you're here, but you're burned out on the faith, and even some of us who've been won by Jesus, all of us sometimes in our culture have absorbed the cross image as a cultural positive. We think it's a mere totem, and that freedom and equality and kindness and progress from the violent past will flow naturally from us. But the violent, unequal, unkind Roman culture saw it differently. You know what the earliest graphic description of Jesus' crucifixion we have is? It was found in a cave on the Palatine Hill in Rome. Think cartoon, stick drawing. And the figure on the cross has the body of a man and the head of a donkey. And the man figure stands at Jesus' feet next to the cross with his hands raised and the scratched caption reads Alexemenos worships his God and in the eyes of the Romans his God is an ass a donkey how stupid that something so weak and despised and as the cross is again being mocked and Jesus mocked as a donkey again, or even as evil in our culture. God committed child abuse. That's in university published books. It's child abuse for God to put his son on the cross. Oh, you can learn so much with a PhD. Pardon my sarcasm. But our culture has become as crass as the Romans. None of this is political. It affects every political party. Every heart is corrupted and corruptible. But I remind you as we close of this reality. The equivalent of a 747 airplane crashing and killing everyone on board happens every day in the United States of America by fentanyl. as our leaders have no desire to control what's happening in our country. I mean, imagine what the news media would do if we had an airplane like that crashing every day. But it's nothing because those people don't count. They're not part of the people that count. In my heart, it makes the cry for equality sound pretty shallow and a flippant tool. The suicide rate of children and young adults is on the rise. The tide of human trafficking rises every day. Kindness and compassion among our institutional elite decreases. They cry for more restrictions 
on the people while they, the wealthy, party and create more slaves to serve them that they can buy or control. Nothing new under the sun. We got this, they cry. And Jesus has a donkey's head again. I'm not angry. And I call on you not to be angry. Not to get political. I call on you to weep. Welcome to Rome again. We're making progress as we try to get to these biblically rooted goals without a cross and without Jesus. And brothers and sisters, believers and unbelievers, God is mocking us if we think we can do that. Don't let anybody say to you, where is God with all this evil going on? Because the scripture tells you, God says, you want to try it your way? Be my guest. I give you over to your ways. So don't blame me. And I say to you as I end, in the middle of all this self-judgment which we bring on ourselves, Jesus is still, isn't it amazing, with open arms of grace on the cross. That's why we love the cross. Is that instead of getting angry at us, and we're so stupid to think our getting angry is going to do any good. His arms are open. He says, stop playing human games. Stop playing divide and conquer and accusing people of their party affiliation or this or that. The only affiliation that matters is what you do with me. And my arms are open. Not to judge or condemn, but to receive and to welcome. Jesus calls you away from worshiping yourself and the world to a worship that will satisfy your heart, both now and forever. Run to him. Cling to him. Holy. Holy, the Lord our God is holy. And yet there's a bridge across the chasm to his grace. And it's in the Lord Jesus. Nowhere else. God's allowed to be arrogant. I'm not. And God says that's his way. And it's not arrogance when it's God. Let's sing his praise.